This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. For Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. The book title is Metal Butterfly, and it's written by Jennifer D'Souza. It's a story about lupus, the enemy that lurked within me. It's her life story. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. You've had many physical challenges, but you have overcome all of them to date, or most of them to date, and have decided to tell your story. What motivated you to put this book together? Basically, what motivated me to put it together was because I, um, I've been through so many struggles, and I know there's so many people suffering with many health issues out there, and they need some uplifting uh, hope and some they need to be inspired to gain the courage to um to fight and to continue trying to achieve their uh dreams and goals and my book is basically to uplift people give them hope and courage to continue life uh not let illness or disease uh take over their dreams or their happiness and basically to keep fighting always pushing for that last edge Tell me about your birth challenges. You had some difficulties as a, a small baby. Uh, tell us about those and then what transpired after that. Um, when, I, when I was born, I uh, was born with this birthmark, and uh, it was called a hemangioma. And it was basically a tumor that spread through the left side of my face. I got left with a big, massive defect on my face, um, and um, I... I uh, used to get bullied in, in um, elementary school because I looked so different from everybody else. Uh, I used to be called a monster um, and picked on, um, and I had to overcome a lot of bullying challenges, and um, it was very hard. Um, i come home crying many times, um, but there was always that one friend in school that would... Um, uh, lift me up again and um, basically that angel there was always that angel by my side to carry me through important to have not only good friends but people who understand the challenges of life and can help another person through it at 17 in Lisbon you also had another physical challenge that hit what was that uh, when I was 17 um, I um, started getting very very sick um, very, very weak. I got to the point that I, I couldn't even get up out of bed. I'd get so short of breath, I couldn't even walk. couldn't even walk a mile to the bus stop. I was at high school um, at the time in the Azores. And um, I ended up going to the emergency room. I went into multi-system shutdown. They didn't know what I had. And um, after... Um, after uh, a lot of tests, doctors um, 
found out that I had lupus. But what drove them to test me for lupus was um, through my mother. Uh, what happened was the man that built our house, his sister uh, was selling these crocheted butterflies a long time ago before I even got sick. And my mother asked her what what she was selling that for, and she told my mother it was for the Lupus Foundation. My mother had no clue what lupus was. And when I was almost, like, basically terminally ill, almost in a coma stage, uh, hooked up to so much medical equipment, uh, unconscious at times, uh, it popped into her head to ask if they tested me for lupus. And when they tested me for lupus, I came up positive for lupus, and they started treating me right away with chemotherapy and some aggressive medications. Explain to my listeners what lupus actually is and uh, what forms it takes. Uh, lupus is actually an autoimmune disease. Basically, um, we all have antibodies in our immune system that fight colds and any type of uh, illness or virus, any bacterial infection. And my antibodies don't recognize my own flesh, mainly my kidneys, my heart, my lungs, uh, as normal normal flesh. And so when I get sick, when I... Um, with that flare, I actually have pneumonia. Uh, when I get sick, it attacks mainly my kidneys um, and um, also my heart and my lungs. I actually, um, I had another flare back in 2005, and I had total uh, kidney failure. I was actually on dialysis for a year, waiting for kidney transplant. And uh, I have a lot of faith in God, and... Um, I used to pray a lot. Um, I did fall into a big depression at the time um, to the point that I wanted to end my life because I felt like an old lady. I couldn't even walk up a flight of stairs because I'd get so short of breath, and I was swollen, full of fluids everywhere. Um, I had lung, uh, heart problems, lung problems, kidney problems. I was doing dialysis three times a week, and when I looked toward God and started praying again because... I was not at God for a while, but and then when I lifted myself up and started praying to him, little by little I started picking up pieces of my life again, and I started working uh, full-time and doing dialysis three times a week, which was a great challenge. And then after a year on the transplant list, I got a letter from Bristol Community College saying I get admitted in the nursing program. <laughs> and I kept praying, and I'm like... How am I going to do this? It's already so hard for me to do dialysis and work full-time. Um, how am I going to add nursing school to this? So I kept praying about it, kept praying about it. And um, I had a lot of faith. Like I had faith in God that something would change. And I used to tell doctors that, but they didn't believe. Um, and so a couple of weeks before nursing school started, my kidneys miraculously improved. And doctors asked me how that could have happened because there's no medical evidence, no scientific evidence of how that could have happened just on its own, that, this big turnaround with my kidneys. So I'm, I, I really, I was truly blessed in that aspect. And basically I believe that my willpower to want to live and uh, having that hope and that courage to continue fighting regardless what the circumstances was really helped me get better because 
when I was in that depression stage and I did I wasn't helping myself I felt worse I felt sicker than what I actually was but when I lifted myself up again little by little I started getting better and that's the message that I want to give people is that uh, no matter how hard it is keep fighting um, keep fighting uh, for your dreams and take each day at a time and enjoy the full enjoy it to the fullness um, I know with cancer patients it's it's hard to say that and it's hard to believe that but it, I've I've had family members with cancer and they basically have told me the same thing they take each day and they make the best of it and that fulfills them for that moment and and brings them joy just being around their family well you recounted one story where you were giving a speech or giving a talk about your miraculous recovery and and encouraging others and uh, one young man in the audience had a, a mother who was going through chemo at the time and uh, his faith was strengthened but the outcome was not as he expected and yet he still held on to his faith am i understanding that yes. story correctly yes he's actually he's devoted himself more to the parish he's an altar boy um he's also uh had thoughts of becoming a deacon uh very strong in faith and you could see the joy in in his eyes in him and he's just turned out to be this delightful person full of full of grace in him um and I was really afraid when that happened because I um, I, was, I was a speaker. I'd been a speaker at the confirmation retreats, and the first year I spoke, he was touched by my speech, and that's what motivated him to get closer to the faith. Beautifully put, and a, a telling story of how important our connection with not only the church community but also with our faith how that can strengthen us when we go through difficult times. How, yeah. how long did it take you to write this book, put it together? Uh, it took me about two years. And how would you introduce this to someone who doesn't know your story? I would basically introduce my book as um, this is an inspirational book um, that is uplifting, um, gives people hope, courage, um, and is a book to um, help people um, get through hardships um, by example of what I've been through, um, and they can sort of kind of use this example to um, kind of bridge their way um, in that path to get through their struggles and in, in their crooked, crooked roads at the moment. It's an inspirational story, and I'm curious if you think there's anything beyond that inspirational story that sets it apart from the crowd. I think it's not only inspirational, but it also has to do with a religion base as well, basically um, a spiritual uh, component of believing in, in a power higher than oneself. And it also kind of is um, a story of a young girl that has gone through so many struggles in which many 
many young girls nowadays sometimes have struggles and they don't know how to cope with it. But and then when they see someone who's had worse, it kind of shows them, wow, I'm not as bad as I thought. In addition to being an author, tell the listeners once again what it is you do currently. I am also, I have quite a few degrees. I have a phlebotomy certificate. Sometimes I draw blood in the laboratory for medical doctors. And I'm also a medical laboratory technician. I analyze blood and urine specimens, report the results to the doctors. And that's basically like my per diem part-time job. And then I also, my full-time job is um, a registered nurse. I am a, a cardiac surgical registered nurse. I take care of open-heart patients. And I also am studying for a higher degree in nursing at UMass Dartmouth in Florida, Massachusetts. And basically what I love about my job in nursing is that I have a chance to share my story with my patients. And I could see it in their eyes after I share my story. It uplifts them. It gives them hope to continue um, continue their battle of recuperation because open-heart surgery is definitely a very, uh, very tough surgery to overcome uh, recuperation-wise. And those patients need a lot of encouragement, reinforcement, and they need uh, hope and courage and that, that little push to keep them going and my story gives them that push to keep going because they they look at my story and say wow she's been through much worse if she's gone through that then I can get through this and it uplifts them and I always put smiles on their faces and I can see in their eyes that they they have that that energy after they hear my story to keep going to move forward Beautifully put. Uh, thank you so much for sharing it. It must have been very challenging putting this together. Where do we get copies of your book? My book uh, is sold on iUniverse.com, uh, which is through my publisher, but it can also be purchased at www.amazon.com. All right, and did this inspire you enough to maybe write another book in the future? Possibly. Right now, my life is really busy with school and um, multiple jobs um, but yes in the future I might write another book and um, what basically um, inspired me to write this one is because I felt my story needed to be heard uh, because it is a book that will help people overcome their struggles I'm not sure what the next topic will be what if I do decide to write another book but in the future it is a possibility Jen, do you have any you know, closing remarks or closing thoughts you'd like to share? Yes. I would just like to um, tell the public that no matter how hard your struggles are, try never to lose hope and keep fighting for your dreams and for your family, for your loved ones. And one smile can cheer so much if you just believe. I know that many smiles that I forced myself to put on my face uh, to get through my struggles helped me feel so much better. And the grace of God, I I truly love God with all my heart because He's the one. If it wasn't for Him, I wouldn't be here today. And God bless everyone and all of you um, from the bottom of my heart. 
Jan, thank you for sharing not only this note of inspiration, but also your testimony of faith. Thank you again, Jan. The book title again is Metal Butterfly Lupus, the Enemy That Lurked Within Me. It's the story of Jennifer D'Souza. Thank you, Jennifer, for joining us. Thank you, G. For iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Hi, everybody. This is Pete Six of Beatles and Beyond. Why don't we all come together and hear some of the tracks off the latest Beatles release on this radio station. Why don't you look up the schedules on this radio station and join me and Beatles listeners everywhere to hear these latest releases from the Beatles on Beatles and Beyond with Pete Dix. Connect with Juliana and connect with what lies beneath. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Juliana is a marriage, family, and child therapist who wants people to connect. Connect with what lies beneath, those truths and answers. And through her counseling practice, she has helped others find their personal power and fulfill their dreams. And she wants to do the same for you. Here on Connect with Juliana, through intimate discussions, intriguing subject matters, and the expertise of her guests. For more on the show and Juliana, check out her webpage, connectwithjulianainmedia.com. Juliana will cover it all. Nothing is off limits. She wants to know what matters to you. Make the connection. Tune in to Toginet to connect with Juliana to find out the facts that could be hidden beneath the surface. Connect with Juliana on Toginet to make a quality connection in your life. Friday afternoons at 4, 3 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. Greetings for Steve Jorgensen and for iUniverse, this is J. Douglas Barker. Today I visit with author Ron J. West. He's written a book titled Corporate Caterpillars, How to Grow Wings, and the forward by Jack Canfield, who is also the co-creator of Chicken Soup for the Soul. Welcome, Ron, to the program. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Very happy to be here. You're a corporate advisor, corporate uh, motivator, and you've written a book that's 200 pages long. What motivated you to put this book together? That's a good question. It, it's really born out of 25 years of corporate transformation work. And just to explain the term quickly, corporate transformation is any large-scale shift and change in the culture of a company. And let's face it, some of these companies could do with some corporate transformation. Yes, and in your book, you have outlined things like waking up automatic habits and seeing the good, the bad, and the ugly, transformational ideas. Which of these do you think is the most important? Mm. Well, I'd have to say all of them, but, but there has to be a place to start. And, and this is as true for an individual as well as a whole company. So in the same way an individual would begin to get very self-aware 
of some of their habits and how perhaps some of those habits and attitudes serve them well and perhaps in some areas of their life that don't serve so well. So if you kind of look at a whole business, a whole culture in a business as though it were a complex person, you start to see how the world of personal transformation actually applies to the world of uh, corporate transformation. So I would say the, the key thing, though, is this, this first step, awareness. And awareness is akin to kind of waking up. So it's a process of really waking up and starting to get aware of your habits and how they affect what you do and where they work for you and perhaps where they don't. So the contents of your book would work not only in corporate America or a corporate United States or world, but also in our personal lives. Oh, absolutely, Jay. Absolutely. In fact, um, I, I thought I was writing a, a book on uh, corporate transformation and, and realized very quickly, oh, wait a minute, that they're, they're not separate journeys. My own journey um, is, is much the same as the journeys that the companies I've had the pleasure of working with, the journeys they've gone through, too. So it really is, is one and the same. And, and what I realized was so much of what I'd learned from the world of personal transformation actually applies to corporate transformation. They, they really are the same journey. They're not separate. And they are a chunk at a time. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the chunk idea is really because I think some of us, after getting aware and getting real about our situation, getting functional, um, we all tend to bite off a bit more than we can chew. And we perhaps start every new year with a whole bunch of great intentions. Um, and then quickly by February, we stop going to the gym, uh, we stop losing weight, getting healthy, and we're back to our same habits. So chunking things down is really all about trying to get your arms around what it is you're trying to achieve, find some purpose behind it, and then start to slice it up and say, well, what's my next best step? What moves me in the right direction? Because until you try something, you can't really know if it's going to work or not. So the idea is you take a small step, you try something on, you see if it's working for you, and if not, you adjust. And we lose a lot of that ability to do that and be open to that because we're afraid of making a mistake or making ourselves look silly, perhaps. So after a while, the older we get, the crustier we get, the less likely we are to try something new on, the more likely we are to fall back to our old habits, not all of which serve us well. What is your advice to, to remain inspired or motivated? I have a lot of great ideas, but I run out of steam when I get down the road a little bit. Well, of course, I'd have to say, Jay, that you need a, a great coach. And, and as luck would have it, I'm available. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but that aside, what motivates anybody? Uh, let's talk about intrinsic motivation, because if I try to force extrinsic motivation on you and say, okay, here's the deadline. I could hold you accountable all year. You still would not get things done. Your, your, your habits, your bad habits, your limiting beliefs um, are going to get the better of you eventually because as soon as you go unconscious about it, your unconscious mind is already pre-wired and all of these things will come up and sabotage your efforts. That's what happens to us. So the answer is actually, in order to stay motivated, you've got to keep finding things that motivate you. So if a specific goal, an objective, something that's important to you, is truly important to you, something you truly value above all else, then take a small slice of it and start working towards it and recognize that as obstacles come up, they are just learning opportunities. It's not there to stop you. It's there to teach you something. So if something comes up, you go, okay, I was expecting this. 
And there's a whole chapter in the book about how to recruit lots of other people to help support that effort, because you're right. It's really difficult to stay motivated with something, even if it's really important to you and you're intrinsically motivated. Very, very tough without support from friends, from a mentor, from a coach, from a mastermind group. All of these things are helpful because as soon as you tell somebody else about your intention, you're far more likely to achieve it, far more likely. And that works for an individual and it works for a whole company too. As soon as you go public with a new idea, you're much more likely to achieve it. There's also the challenge of negative input when you uh, put your ideas out into the public sector. Absolutely. Don't we all quickly find out who our friends are? And that's true for a company, too, because as soon as you go out and put something out, your competitors are going to be all over it. The point is, instead of playing a game and trying to position things and say the right things, if you truly are making a big change, you'll get an awful lot more support than you will naysayers. So even if the press takes the swipe at you, if what you're doing is, is whole, if what you're doing is going to bring good benefit to people and it's genuine, it will shine through. There's no doubt about that. And that works for an individual as, as well as for a company too. I describe the process of putting this book together. You've got a great history of working with companies and also with individuals. Describe the process of completing this project. <laughs> well, there's a story on its own, Jay. Um, I actually bought myself a nice leather binder um, 25 years ago. And I sat down with this little journal and decided I was going to write a book. I wrote a few pages by hand and then realized I really didn't know enough. And I kept going back and buying a new journal every year or so for the next 23 years, pretty much. And I found them all a couple of years ago and realized I had lots of good ideas, but I really, I really didn't feel like it all came together. And it was that moment when I saw and had insight finally that the individual journey is the same as the corporate journey that I began to write the book. And so two years ago, I set about writing it and out it came. Uh, there, was, there was one obstacle in the middle of the book for me, um, but essentially the whole process was was very quick. The book fell out very quickly. And what I found easy to do was to turn it into a kind of blueprint because of the way that I tackled my own growth and development and how I'd been able to facilitate growth and development in the companies, the many companies I work with. So I included a lot of personal examples. I included a great many corporate examples um, of, of all of this in action, this kind of blueprint of how to do transformation. Any underlying themes in this book that would motivate me as an underachiever? Well, I'm not really, um, but I'm just uh, well, using it as a possibility. <laughs> Jay, the first thing I have to jump all over is, is your self-talk. If, if you call yourself an underachiever, then you will surely live up to that. Um, the thing to do is to realize that you know we're, we're all out to sabotage ourselves to, to remain what we think is safe. And until we take some risks and kind of push outside of that shell, we're really not going to achieve anything different. If you keep doing the same thing, isn't that the definition of madness? You're really going to keep getting the same results. So anything can happen. Any event can happen to you. And it's your response to that event that produces an outcome. If you would like the outcome to be different, then I guess what is throughout the book are many, many examples where if you follow this blueprint, um, Everything that happens, including all the obstacles, including all the negative self-talk, including all the things that just don't work out the way you hoped, 
there's a there's a reason and it's explained and what to do about that is in the book too so it really is taking you by the hand through the entire process of transformation since this was uh least forwarded by jack canfield any inspirational thoughts in here in this book Oh, absolutely. And I think that Jack himself is a great inspiration, certainly was for me. And having a chance to be one of his first um, personal development trainers in the world was a great, great experience. And so I guess the book is filled with with my insights. um, And particularly in the world of self-development, there are very specific things um, that look as though they only apply to an individual and don't really apply to an entire company. So there's a great many examples of things that will make an individual successful working for an entire corporation. So the book is is littered with examples of things that you would not expect or wouldn't look at as being applicable to an entire company. And that's key. I mean, we all go through a process, for example, of, you know, doing our vision statement, doing our mission statement, and then we stick it on the wall. Or what you'd learn in the world of self-development is there's no value in that. The value is in the conversation that led to that. The value is in attaching some emotion to that and feeling good about that. That that will make a big difference. That will keep you on track way more than any poster on the wall ever will. Well, distilling your book down into one or two sentences, what one thing would you like readers to take away from this book? That's a good question. Um, I think that only if the leaders in a business, and by leader I don't just mean the senior executives, I mean anybody that's bringing about change and trying to do things differently in a business, that if they are open to growth and development themselves, the leaders in a business, then they will inspire and facilitate the growth of the business. That's the core message in the book. It really is down to the leaders, those who would lead change, taking on change and growth themselves and then inspiring it in the entire culture in the business because companies these days just touch so many parts of the world and, and individual companies um, basically cross geographic boundaries, religious boundaries, political boundaries, cultural boundaries. If companies could just do things a little bit differently, companies could be a little more perhaps ethical, um, a little more careful in what they do, a bit kinder to the planet. Think of the difference that a company could make across the world. And that's all born out of the leaders in a business being open to change and growth themselves. That's where it starts. Well, it's a strong core value, and many corporate identities are taking on that persona. What was the most challenging part about writing this book? Mm. The most challenging part for me, I think I mentioned earlier on, when I got to the chapter on vision, I stopped. I stopped in my tracks and was struggling. Well, wait a second. Um, I'm clearly struggling with this thing called purpose and what my life purpose is. And I realized I'd been teaching it for a while, and we only ever try and teach something we need to learn ourselves. So what I found was I needed to spend some time to get really clear and comfortable that what I should be doing in my life, what I felt was my calling, my purpose, uh, was indeed what I thought it was. And I'm living it right now. This book, for me, is the start of a whole new career uh, that's all around consulting and executive coaching and keynote speaking um, around North America and elsewhere. And it's basically my life's work to share 
corporate transformation with other leaders to bring about these changes in the way our companies do business across the whole world. So the big challenge was getting past that and getting clear that, wow, until I was clear about my purpose in life, how could I inspire anybody else to live true to theirs? Well, it finally got unblocked. I finally got clear about my purpose, as I've explained, and the rest of the book fell out very quickly after that. So that was the big challenge for me, the chapter on purpose. The book title again is Corporate Caterpillars, How to Grow Wings, forwarded by Jack Canfield. Our author, Ron J. West. Thank you, Ron, for joining us today and sharing your insight. Jay, they'll find more information at corporatecaterpillars.com. They'll find information at ronjwest.com about the services I offer. And the book is available in all sorts of formats, both amazon.com and uh, Barnes & Noble, too. Thanks again for sharing your insight. You're welcome. Thank you. For iUniverse, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Helen Wu was born and raised in San Francisco's Chinatown. And after a very difficult upbringing, fighting depression, abuse, and addictions, she finally finds herself genuinely happy inside and out. Helen believes in taking our positive thinking and doing something positive to achieve a positive outcome. She's here to make a positive difference in your life, to be your game changer, your aha moment mentor. She's ready to help both men and women get into a better place. Helen Wu is also the author of Self-Aid Success Stories, 25 Success Stories from Successful Entrepreneurs. Inspired by Ellen DeGeneres, Helen wants the world to know that just because we find ourselves in a difficult situation doesn't mean we have to stay there. We can aid ourselves to a better life. So join us for Self-Aid Success Stories with Helen Wu. Wednesday nights at 10, 9 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio with host Steve Jorgensen. The title of the book, Among Hibiscus and Roses, a retired nurse's memoir, and the author is Sunhei Kim, and she joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Great to have you with us. Uh, this is your memoir, your story Basically, of most of your life, you've written about serving as a nurse here in the United States, and you also served in South Korea for some time. Uh, take us back and give us some idea of when you were younger, did you always want to become a nurse, or was there something else that you wanted to do as well? Uh uh, nurse, becoming nurse was not my you know, first choice. My first choice was to become historian, and uh, my mother rejected it. And uh, my second choice was to become writer. My mother rejected it. And the third choice was to become nurse, and that was my mother's recommendation. And uh, I accepted it. I became nurse. So when you first started to become a nurse, how did you find it? Was it a lot more difficult than you had expected, or were you able to do it, you know, easily? Once I accepted I'm going to become a nurse, 
I had to go through all, you know, you know, training process. And, uh, you know, basically you have to accept it. Then, you know, make a progress. I'm sure you worked hard at it. Oh, like any, any nurses, all worked hard. So as we look at your book, you've broken down your book into different uh, age groups. Uh, you start out uh, with, it says, January 1st, 2004, my age 63. Now, is this kind of a, well, well tell us about that first chapter. What, how did, why did you start out, start out your book in this way? Okay, uh, when it, it happened that my apartment, that, that was January 1st, the New Year's Day, I came back from my dinner, and to turn on red, you know, television, there was uh, going on, you know, uh, <clears throat> Mr. Cronkite and the narrating and introducing the, you know, Austrian words and uh, about the Johann Strauss. And, uh, you know, so my memory went back to the, you know, Austria, Austria you know, traveling and their history and, um, and the coming back to the, you know, watching TV. Then I, you know, my, my personal situation at that time. And, uh, and uh, you know, this is, uh, you know, freshing memory. And uh, my friend the called me and uh, we talked. And uh, once we talked, you know, three hours on the phone from the, you know, co you know friend in Korea. And if I can talk about the past for three hours, I could remember a lot and I could write a lot. So, you know, that is, uh, 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 you know, deciding point to write my book. So not many records out there that people would find about nurses, about their life story. Exactly. Not so many. When I traveling in, you know, England, you know, I went to the British Museum, and I met a, a, a student, and uh, she was from Canada, and she was studying medieval women's social activities, and she couldn't find the data because those times women didn't leave you know, much record behind what they were doing it. And, but we know they, they did a lot of things, but in the record that she couldn't find. And in that matter, I looked at my own nurse's career and looking for the, you know, the nurses, how many nurses wrote it about uh, their life. And, uh, you know, you know what nurse does as a job, but how was the nurse's life? And, um, I found uh, very little, you know, nurses, uh, you know, uh, lively history in the United States and, uh, you know, worldwide, only few. So, wow, nurse, nurse was, uh, you know, uh, working a long time and very few people wrote it about uh, their, you know, personal life. Maybe, you know, too busy to, you know, to write and... Um, so, you know, this is, uh, you know, uh, something to 
you know, keep in mind there isn't many, you know, autobiography written by a nurse. So, you know, let's say I jump into the <laughs> subject. You take us back to 1951 in one of your uh, chapters, uh, 51 through 1962, 10 years of age to 21. And uh, was it uh, by the time you were 21, had you had your nurses training? Yes. And the 1951 was, um, you know, my story uh, beginning with the Korean War. Everything was a destruction. And, uh, you know, we tried to survive and, uh, you know, uh, became, you know, a Korean War refugee. And then, you know, I went to the Busan, South Korea, and, uh, you know, uh, had, <clears throat> had school. And uh, I went to the nursing school, army nursing school. And uh, by 21, you know, I was, uh, you know, registered a nurse. And then you have another section from the age of 22 to 24. Is that when you served uh, in South Korea from 63 to 65? Yes, I was army nurse for six years. And uh, that time, 1963, I came to Hawaii, you know, for the job training as a physical therapist. And uh, so the, how America was uh, so nice, you know. Korea was living in, in, the, in the destructions, you know, surviving after Korean War. And uh, so two countries were so, you know, drastically contrasting. One is well-to-do, one is uh, very poor, you know. So, you know, two worlds met. So, you know, uh, I came to my States, and uh, I live here ever since. So you take us to 1966, you're 25 in that chapter from 66 to 70, 25 years of age to 29. Kind of give us a little idea about what that age, uh, those years, what you were doing. Yes, I, you know, uh, you know, discharged, you know, from the army, and I worked as, uh, you know, a public nurse uh, uh, to fight against the tuberculosis in, in Korea. And uh, Korea was, after, you know, Korean War, very poor and undernourished people, you know, getting sick, you know, especially this tuberculosis. So, you know, World Health Organization and gave commission to the Swedish Save the Children to, you know, um, manage this dangerous disease to not to spread in Korea. So I worked there, and that is the most, you know, uh, highlight of my life, you know, worked for the public and the public, uh, you know, benefit. When did you come to the United States? 1971. 1971, so you have a whole section there from the age of 30 to the age of 56. 
is chapter 5, 1971 to 1997. Uh, give us some of your, you know, a few of your experiences that um, mean so much to you. Yes. You know, I came in my face, or let's say in a cultural shock, you know, everything, you know, language and the food and the lifestyle is all different. I have to face all, you know, those things. I have to speak English better to work. And, uh, you know, uh, I have to modify my food, you know, diet, dieting, all that. And but to live with Americans, it was just fun. You know, all we are different, all look different, and a different lifestyle. And I live my life, and everybody live their life. And we cross-crossed each other. And, uh, you know, so that is life goes on, still goes on. Now, chapter number six, uh, you take us from 1998 to 2003, just before you decided to write your book, I guess, as you've already told us. So from age of 57 to 62, what's, what's the significance of this time period? What, why did you single out those years? Oh, because at uh, that time I retired. You know, retiring is uh, not uh, like a changing job. It's, uh, you know, getting off from the all, you know, hectic activities as a worker, now you're becoming totally individual to live the way you want to live. And, uh, and you know, all, all this year, since I came to the United States, I was traveling a lot here and there, and uh, I saw great things. I heard many, you know, beautiful stories. And uh, so, I, you know, that time is my relaxing time. And looking back, you know, my life, and uh, I had the time to remember and uh, to write. So you are basically doing one of the things you've always wanted to do, be a writer, and even a historian, and being uh, obviously uh, sharing your history with the world. Yes, me and the world, me and the, the other people. You know, we're all in it together. Right. And one of your philosophies of life, it comes across very clear in your book, there is life besides your job. Life is not a job. Uh, job is, uh, you know, uh, make you work, make living. And your personal life is, you know, you know not totally related to the job. You have, uh, you know, your personal life. And you have family life, you have, uh, you know, uh, you know, the other activities to combine. So, you know, uh, uh, in, in many times the job is uh, dominating our life, but that is not all we think about the job. We've been listening to Sunhai Kim. She is the author of her book. Among Hibiscus and Roses. This is her memoir, a retired nurse's memoir. Tell us how to get your book. How do we order your book? Oh, you know, you can go to the, you know, your local, uh, you know, bookstore. Or, you know, 
you can order to the you know through the iUniverse. Well, we appreciate you being with us and sharing information about your book. Thank you so thank, much. Thank you very, very much. Have a happy life. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by Toginet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Radio with a cutting edge.